and welcome to the Turtle Tracks podcast. I'm your host, Brian Van Hooker, and I'm here today with Michelle Ivey, the uh, the top-ranking Ninja Turtles fan of all time. <laughs> I don't know if I go there. I say all turtle fans are equal. <laughs> I think I, I think that's mostly true. Like, I, I, I pride myself, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? She kind of outranks us all, so <laughs> you can be in here. Uh, not a problem. I love talking with fellow fans. <laughs> Same here, absolutely. Uh, so this is uh, this is a real treat to talk to you, and uh, yeah, I just, I mean, I, I've, boy, I, I don't know where, where to start. I guess, I guess the place to start is, I mean, this is kind of basic, but what's your earliest Turtles memory? My earliest one where I became a fan, or well, I have a slight memory of a Comic Con where there was a, well, a sci-fi con where there was people dressed up as turtles and they cheated to win, um, but. It was a couple of years later that I saw the toys and uh, became a fan through the Ninja Turtle toys in October of 1989. Oh, cool. I've been you know for a long time. <laughs> you know how old you were at the time? No, uh, honestly, I was doing conventions from before I could remember. So most oh, wow. of my little young conventions all blend together. My dad was a guest for making costumes and being an art director for a local TV show. So it was one convention after another for us. Oh, I, so I, 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 um, I, I didn't know that about your dad. And I, I, I said this beforehand, but my condolences, I know he passed away recently. Um, but I, I had seen that your goal in life was to be in the suits. And I never knew why. I was like, I, you know, I've spoken to Michelin Sisti and some other people. And I'm like, it seems like such a miserable experience. And now, makes a little more sense of why you'd want to be in the suits. So. I, I grew up wearing foam rubber costumes that completely engulfed my body running around in these suits. And it was, uh, it could be miserable, but it depends on what you were doing. And most of the time I made great memories putting on the costumes. So I, I love it. I absolutely love being tortured. <laughs> I did. Uh, I worked for a magazine and, uh, for one very stupid idea, I, I, uh, was going to be a mascot in Central Park for a day, so I did it with uh, in Rafa in uh, as Raphael, and there's a big Raphael head behind me. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I was in Times Square for a day as Raphael, and it was it was horrible. And <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I applaud your your fortitude in that. So. Well, when the turtles came out and my turtle costume was made, because I did get my own turtle costume, and uh, 1990 was when the first one was made out of two. Um, my first time fully wearing it is one of those epic memories you just never forget. Um, I knew I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle for Halloween, and my dad would make whatever we wanted for Halloween. And then October 3rd, 1990, the Coming Out of the Shells tour premiered on pay-per-view. And I watched it, and I'm like, look at all those kids wearing their Ninja Turtle costumes. I want my turtle costume done before the Coming Out of the Shells tour gets here. So my dad finished it the same day we were going to see the tour, which was October 17th. And we called up the Masonic Temple and said, hey, can our 12-year-old wear her uh, homemade Ninja Turtle costume to show the turtles? Yeah, go right ahead. They didn't know what they were saying yes to. Um, <laughs> I got there. I ended up being mobbed as people got up from the balconies, all the seats surrounding me, wanting my autograph, hugging me. I had kids latched to my legs. Um, until all of a sudden they started to disappear. Now they've been around me for a while and I did not, I couldn't even move. My mom could not reach me. She got split from me right away. And 
uh, finally, a security guard grabs my shoulder. Little boy, come with me. <laughs> and pulled me out. Ends up, I stalled the show from starting for 15 minutes. <laughs> that is just one of those experiences. Uh, I got to go back in wearing my Ninja Turtle pajama with a coming out of the shells tour shirt pulled over the top and watched the show, but I missed uh, the first song because I had to get out of the costume. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> and that's after that, anytime I put on that costume, I can't think of one bad memory wearing my turtle suit. Not one. That's great. I, uh, I'm super envious. I, I, I love the coming out of their shells tour, but I never got to go as a kid. So I'm super jealous about that. So I, I think they need to bring it back. <laughs> I know. I mean, like there's all, I mean, we were talking about this before the hand, but, but I mean, we got, I, I know not in name, but like we got coming out of their shells tour figures this year, which is maybe the point of 2020 easily. Cause 2020 is such a miserable slog, but like. We had to have something good, at least one thing good. And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> It's been a bad year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but you got to see, how many times did you get to see Coming Out of Their Shells? Or I down saw, in your... I saw Coming Out of the Shells tour, um, the full show, which was everything before they cut things down. They only did five cities with the entire show, and Detroit happened to be one of them, and that was my Masonic uh, Temple show. And then I saw... The shortened show at Six Flags Great America in July 1991, four times. And then the following year, I went back to the same Six Flags Great America and got to see Getting Down to Your Town tour four times. And that time I got backstage twice. Oh, wow. <laughs> I do, do, you have any idea, do you have any idea what the, um, the shortened show was? Like what was different about it? Because I don't oh. know. Yes, a million lines and even some songs were cut, like Follow Your Heart was not in the shortened version. Um, okay. It's funny because when I first went, I did not know they shortened the show down. I thought it was going to be the same show, and I have the show memorized. So I'm sitting there talking along with the turtles, and then I stumble because they cut a line, and I'm like, okay, pick up, start talking along again, stumble again, and I'm like, why? And another thing I really hated in the shortened version was – um shredder could not talk to the audience anymore oh wow really i caught his attention i yelled hey shredder nice garbage bag for a slip and he walked over to the edge of the stage and pointed at me and then showed me his fist and then went back into the line but he couldn't say anything <laughs> i'm like no. oh man <laughs> was that so you said that was at six flags so was it like a theme park version of it just like scaled down no it was the same it was still the coming out of the shells tour it was on their grand okay. page uh, and it advertised coming out of the shells tour and it still had all the merchandise for sale. It was just really cut down to like only a half hour show because they had to do two shows a night there. Oh. Um, and now with the, the first cut down they did, which was still the full length show that you would see on uh, the VHS. Um, after Chicago, they got rid of Baxter Stockman. They got rid of the alligators. They got a different April O'Neil. All the dancing soldiers and pizza guys all cut. And they had oh, wow. scaled down because it was too expensive to travel with everything. So Chicago was their last full city tour out of the, the show. Oh, wow. Well, I didn't know. I, I knew, I'd heard that they got rid of Baxter and there was some stuff. I actually got this, a chance to speak to Bob Bijan recently um, for the podcast. and we But we didn't get too deep into what, what came later as far as how the show, I, actually, I don't know. 
listen to that podcast of yours because I was like, oh, it's Bob. <laughs> so I had to jump on there and hear that one. I still need I, to talk with him. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, like, maybe that's the one person I've gotten that you have. <laughs> Some people I'm very envious of that you've gotten a chance to speak to over the years. I have met a lot of people. It's um, I, I go to a lot of events and I just somehow know the right things to say, even as a kid to get up to talk to people that I never thought I'd talk to. I've met people that when I was a kid was my, um, the, the people who I looked up to and studied their movements and everything to be able to walk and talk like them. And now I call them friends and I'm like, how'd this happen? <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Like David Wise, for one, who passed away recently. Uh, you got a chance to talk to David Wise, right? Didn't just talk with him. We made friends. Um, That's awesome. First, we, uh, my first interview with him is on a tape cassette. It has never been shared anywhere yet. Um, I don't know how to transfer it onto a computer. Um, I need to because it is a great interview. I, I got to call and talk to him on my birthday back in the 90s. And we did a full interview before I had any podcast or anything going on for me and um it sits there in my collection now and um after that we stayed in touch like through email and on AOL and Messenger and stuff and then I found out I was at New York Anime Fest and one of my online friends was there and he came running up to me did you know David Wise is here wait what so went over and I got to meet David at that convention and that was my first of two times getting to meet up with him. The next time he invited me to his house to do my Cowabunga Corner interview. And we got to sit there and talk. And my interview is way longer than anyone would ever guess if they watched the video. Uh, he has the, he's one of those people that has one of those long answers for everything you ask him. And I, I, I need to release this full interview somehow. I bet it's like three hours. It feels like it's about a three-hour interview. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I tend to kind of, like, I did it. I did this with you. I tend to friend people on Facebook, stalk them for a little bit, and then work up the courage to ask them to be on the show. And unfortunately, I had to do the friending thing and the stalking thing for a little bit, but then he passed away, unfortunately, <laughs> before I got a chance to ask him. So I, I was... W wish I'd acted on that a little sooner. So, yeah, he's him and Bill Wolf, both of which were dear friends of mine, and uh, we lost them a week from each other. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. that just uh, to to this day, my chest aches at the thought of it. I have so much stuff autographed by both of them. Like I have an animation cell right behind me that has both their signatures and the cast of the show, and I just I see it, and every time I look at it, I'm like, I can't believe they're gone. I, yeah. No. Didn't one of the one of the toy one of the Playmates guys pass away too? Like maybe the founder of Playmates or something like yeah. that around the Yes, but he's um his I forget. kids were already handling Playmates toys by the time Ninja Turtles really came into the picture. Ah, gotcha. I when he passed away, I had to get online and try to learn about him. Because I'm like, wait, are these the people that I just watched in this interview? Is this that? Because I don't know the founders of Playmates Toys. I know a lot of the Playmates Toys employees that are here in the United States, but I've never been to their main office overseas. I'd love to go. I've heard about the statues there. I want to go. <laughs> well, wait, what are the statues there? I don't know about this. There's these huge Ninja Turtle statues, like really big statues over in Hong Kong. And I want to go. I want to go see them. <laughs> I love that side of it. I, 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 I had David Arshowski here, who was one of the sculptors of like 
some of the early early turtle toys and i love like that's kind of the reason why i did this podcast at all because i wanted to kind of cover like not just the voice actors who are amazing to talk to and people like that but also like the people who did the stuff that is uncredited at the time so like the sculptors and shit like that we have a friend a mutual friend in trevor zamet of neca neca who's turned out some amazing stuff but talking to people like that are just as interesting if not more interesting to me because it's like they're lesser i don't know less predictable <laughs> have you had the chance at all to reach out to steve varner no he's on my list though because david okay. said to reach him yeah you, you got to talk to steve he sculpted the first turtle Oh, the one with the tail still? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, wow. It, he brings it to San Diego Comic-Con every year on display so people can see it. All right, I'll have to reach out to him. All right. Yeah. I have such a long list of people I want to reach out to. And then, like, I, I, yeah, so that's I'll, I'll bump him up on my, my list of people I want to make sure I talk to. So. Now, see, I started meeting and talking to a lot of these people when I was a kid. I went... To, uh, got backstage at the Coming Out of Shells tour, which was the first thing for me. Then later that year, I went to TurtleCon and got to meet Eastman and Laird, most of the Mirage guys. Found out Ryan Brown was a fan of the show that my dad was the art director on, so mm -hmm. that got me excited. Um, and it just kept going that way. In fact, if it wasn't for the talent and fellow Turtle fans that kept popping into my life, I don't know if I'd still be the fan I am today. It's the people that really held me to where I still am. And then... When I got online, I wanted to share this, not just so that people can go, oh, she's met these people, but so people could realize it's doable and others can meet them. And here's ways to do it. Here's how I did it. And I invite people to conventions just to help them get to meet some of their celebrities. And it's some of the best feelings seeing fans' dreams come true. So, yeah, I'm out there to help connect the fans with the talent. It really is encouraging because I mean, like I've met, I've had the pleasure of not just through this, but like meeting a bunch of the people involved in Turtles. I've met the four voice actors from the original show, Eastman and Laird, and like it is super, and everybody's super nice and cool, and it, it's just like it's, it, it really is a treat. It's, it's for people who like I, I don't know, you, I, I try not to like I, 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 I don't know, I try to like not go big into that stuff at first just because I, I wasn't in a lot of conventions it didn't seem like it was a big deal to me and then i had I, I went to new york comic-con and had rob paulson sign an animation cell of Raphael, and i was like oh shit now i need to see everybody else and have them sign the animation cells otherwise it's going to drive me crazy for the rest of my life so i had to like, it fueled this kind of need in me so yeah yeah, well, for me, it just started young with meeting people from other things because of all the cons I went to with my dad. And then with Ninja Turtles, it was realizing that I didn't just meet them, but I made friends. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Eastman probably is the biggest uh, name I could say from my childhood of somebody who kept popping up every time I turn around. Uh, there's Kevin. And I just really enjoyed every meetup, every conversation. My first real conversation with him was at a party uh, for the Words and Pictures Museum in 94. And I'm standing there and I ask him, uh, are you guys doing another Ninja Turtle movie? And he goes, yeah. Are you going back to Jim Henson's Creature Shop? Yeah. Why? Because in Turtles 3, the turtles look like frogs and Splinter look like a dog. After I said that, I realized who I said that to. <laughs> <laughs> and i think at that point kevin realized that i'll always just be blunt honest with them and I, that's yeah. how i've been 
And uh, I still love Turtles 3. I own two of the heads from that film and some of the other props from that movie, but uh, <laughs> I still say the costumes, they, they need to work. Yeah, I mean, that's... And I, 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 I love Turtles 3 also, and I, I, I tried it. And I, what I like about what you've done... Oh, my God! All right, you're showing me the, the mask that goes on top of the, the turtle head, which is amazing. And, and it's wraps, and it's signed Raps? by the actor who played Raph. Oh, shit, were they all the same? Were all four of them... The same, you know? I think they had different... I I just know this one was Raph because it was sent to me by one of his caretakers and sent me a Polaroid of him wearing it. Oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. (laughs) I'm like, I... I I I don't know if it's just straight up nostalgia, but I really do love the third one. Like, it it is... I I, Even though the suits are much worse and, like, some of it's kind of hobbled together, I just... I still love that movie. Okay, it's the first movie to give Michelangelo a plot line. If you think True. about the others, he's just comic relief. He's got a plot line. It's also the movie where we get to see them interact with the most humans. And it's not True. just a repeat. Oh, the turtles versus foot. No, it gave us the turtles inside another setting. I love the third movie. I'm par with Turtles 2. I mean, everyone praises Turtles 2, and I'm like, guys, their weapons were taken away. <laughs> so- yeah. True. There's probably more weapon usage in the third one than the second one. There is, because the, the Eastman and Laird made sure they got their weapons back for the third movie because they were pissed about it being taken away in the second movie. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, that's some of the stuff I was reading in magazines before I got to know them better. <laughs> but yeah, I was looking at that going, oh, wow. And yeah, you watch Turtles 2, and the only turtle who uses his weapon in a fight, besides for Leo throwing his swords into the ceiling, is Donatello. Yeah, because it's a sick and it's not right. gonna, it's the most benign weapon. Yeah. <laughs> so the director, Michael Pressman, had a lot to do with their weapons being taken away, going, yeah, I don't want it that violent. And I'm sitting there going, come on, the Disney movies had blood and Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. <laughs> but Turtles is violent. <laughs> I did not know that, actually. I, I wondered, I thought that was, I wonder if that was more of a Playmates thing. I mean, there's obviously a turn from the first movie to the second where it gets way lighter. Yeah, but I, the one thing this the second movie does smartly, not just because it has the creature shop, which is obviously much better than I forget the name of the studio that did the third movie, um, but the first two movies are also mostly at night, whereas the third one is most of the time of the day. So even though it's lesser suits, they also don't use the trick of let's hide all the scenes in darkness, so you see the necklines and all the other stuff, and it's really distracting. I. I- don't really notice that too much. I, I get pulled oh, good. from the film. But what I do notice with the third movies is the choppiness of the animatronics, how the mouths snap a bit more than they would with the Henson ones. I wish the Henson heads still existed. That would be nice. But if you find a movie one or two head, it's a stunt double head, not one of the animatronics. Oh, really? Yeah, those were destroyed after they lost the bid for the third movie. Uh, the only uh, head that exists now is a Michelangelo head, which is de-skinned and hanging up at the Henson studio. And that's only because it was stolen off the set. Huh. And then returned mysteriously to the Henson's creature shop about 10 years later with an eyewitness who saw it on the set of Turtle Street. Wow. I did I, not know this amazing. I followed all the history I could on that turtle head. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what's that one? What's that famous one that was like really crappy and it's scary all over the internet? And then Tom Spina fixed it all up. Which one's that? 
I think that's one of the stunt heads. I know what okay. you're talking about, but I've never actually seen whose head it is. People keep saying it's mine. I'm like, no, mine's not that freaky. It's actually sitting directly behind me in this case right here. Oh, yeah, Mikey. Yep. How, how, let me ask you, because the last time I saw those heads was in a Cowabunga Corner you probably did 10 years ago. Have they degraded at all? Uh, or they're they, cool? They've been constantly degrading. I try, I got um, Armal to try and help keep them from getting too dried out. But there's times where they're in storage more than they're out. And then I don't get to first them down with some Armorol. And they get very dried out. And where they get dried out, it just clumps away. And no matter what you do, unless you got like an airtight box where they can never be touched again, or you seal it, which I feel changes it from what it is, uh, you can't save this foam latex. Mm. Uh, what I would love is to get a hold of whoever has the molds and then recast the skins out of dragon skin, which is a material that lasts longer than foam latex, and reskin both heads. If you think about it, these skins that are deteriorating might have been used for a couple seconds in the movie, but anytime one of these skins got a nick, they'd rip the skin off the head and put a new skin on there. So if we can get the molds of the original molds for the skins that was used to make for this film and recast it, then we can make these look amazing like new and still be authentic because it's from the actual molds. Do we know what became of the molds? I don't know who has the molds. I, I want Leonardo and Michelangelo's molds so bad. I'm like, they need to be reunited with their heads. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's it? I know you put them on. What's it like in there? Is there still the animatronics and the oh, the outfits? Both of my heads are the animatronic heads, and there's only two okay. sets of the animatronic heads made. Um, so, from what I understand, Eric Stewart, the creator of All Effects, still has one full set. And then there's a set that got released into the auctions when the company went under. And I have two of the heads from that, and I've seen Raph and Don before through the internet that they're in the hands of Turtle fans, too, now. Um, okay. So these are the animatronic heads, meaning if we had the battery packs to put these on, we could hook them up to servos, uh, controls, and make a move. Um, I surprised Jim Martin with the Leonardo head before. Now, Jim was uh, Leo's puppeteer for Turtle Street. And okay. He was doing a panel at a fur con in uh, Pennsylvania, and that's only a few hours away from me. So I drove down there and I put the Leo head on a seat next to me and covered it with a fleece blanket. And he walks in and he's looking at everyone. Oh, you're here for Sesame Street. You're here for the Great Space Coaster. You know, he's seeing everyone's T-shirts. Oh, you're here for Turtles. And I'm like, and I bet I have something you haven't seen in years. And he goes, and what's that? And I pull up the, the blanket and he about drops. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he, he died. He looked it over. He confirmed that this was head one out of the two heads. And he told me of pranks that some of the other puppeteers did with his head where they had stuff spit out of it once, like it was breaking down. And Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had a blast talking about it. That, that was fun. Um, the Michelangelo head has only seen uh, Robbie Wrist, and he never saw it on set. So I've not got to meet any of the actors who wore that head yet. But I do have Eastman and Laird's signature and Robbie Wrist's signature on the strap of Mikey. And Leonardo is signed by uh, Mark Casso, Jim Martin, um, Eastman and Laird. And Matt Hill signed the strap, too, just because. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. I, I, that, now, the, um, 
When did you acquire those, those two heads specifically? Um, Leonardo, I got on March 17th, 2003. Um, That's way more specific an answer than I could have imagined. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> it was my grandmother's birthday on the last, my grandmother's last birthday. So oh, wow, okay. I can remember the year because of that. That was important to me. Uh, and I originally, I saw a wrap up on eBay. I freaked out. And I end up making a bid of 1800 and I lost the bid. And I'm oh. like going, okay, maybe this is better because I don't have the money to do this right now. Um, <laughs> sure. I, I, I just, oh, man, if I could ever get a head or a costume part from the movies, that would be a dream come true. And then I got an email from someone saying he has a turtle head. And he sends me the picture. And I send it off to Mirage and a few other people to get it confirmed that this is the real deal. And every single one said, yes, this is real. And he's offering it to me for the 1800. And I said, yes, yes, send him this way. <laughs> I, um, I, I tried to talk to him about payments and he wasn't into that. So I went to my bank, not sure if I could get a loan, but uh, they worked with me and I'm like, okay, this is going to help me build up my credit. So I got a loan, got my Leonardo head in the mail, just died thinking this, this is it. This is my biggest spend ever. I will never do this again because I'll never find any of the others. And then it was like he somehow knew. I didn't have touch with this guy for almost a year. And he somehow knew when I got that loan paid off with my bank because I paid it off fast just to get it out of the way. Sure. And then he contacts me and says, I have another turtle head. Wait, what? <laughs> Because you want to know a year and a half earlier. That's yeah. great. <laughs> okay, uh, if it's Raph or Don, I'm not going to buy because Michelangelo's my favorite turtle, and I've already right. spent too much on Leo. So I'm not going to buy if it's either of the other two. And then he sends me the picture of Michelangelo. And this one is $2,000. Ah! So... <laughs> Yeah. At first, I was just making payments to him, saying that's that's all I'm going to be doing, and I'm just going to do it because he agreed to payments this time. Okay, I'm making payments to him. I'm not going to do the bank loan again. And then all of a sudden, VH1 gets a hold of me. Hey, we got this TV show, and we'd like you to be on it. We'll be there in uh, June. And at this point, it's late May now. I had some contact with VH1 earlier in February, so I had an idea this might happen, but they gave me very short notice. So I turned around. I was just moving into my grandmother's house, and I raced to the bank and said, I need a loan. Now, this much of it's already paid off, but I'm still taking a loan for the full amount because I'm getting a new computer, a computer desk, and a bed for my bedroom. And so that all summed in with the Michelangelo head loan, which, you know, they're like, oh, she did this loan for this. And I'm like, no, I didn't just do that. I got a lot of awesome other stuff. Right. <laughs> and uh, the Michelangelo head actually arrived on June 4th, 2004, right before the um, show showed up, which was the next day, uh, June 5th. Oh, wow. That's good timing. <laughs> end up on that so that we're talking about totally obsessed right the fred willard one yes yes how did you end up on that because that's sort of i mean is that when like the the public sort of became aware of you i think so right well that's when probably was the biggest awareness one i've been in the newspaper several times since the early 90s okay. um, 
fact, I got I just posted a clipping recently of a newspaper clipping that says Ninja Turtles return real big with my mom and my face. And that was from January 1st of 1995 in Northampton. Um, <laughs> but uh, the VH1 thing, it happened because they put a, a Craigslist ad for collectors. And wow. I'm not on Craigslist. So one of my friends who used to work at Mirage Studios said, you should contact them. So she regrets it. <laughs> <laughs> I put together a video, I sent it to them of me and my collection, and at the end of the video, I mentioned the turtles are not, not just a part of my life, they are my life, because they've done been a huge part of my life, but that's the line I ended it on, and I guess because they're looking for the crazy, <laughs> they yeah. clung to that line and uh, decided they're coming out. They interviewed me several times on the phone, interviewed friends on the phone, they decided to fly one friend out on her birthday, so she spent most of that day on, at the airport. And then they didn't even use any of her interview. Oh. <laughs> they use her as a background clips, like when I'm making the pizza and stuff. But they don't okay. use any of her interview because she said only nice things about me. <laughs> they were trying. They do, they do crank up the crazy in that. Yeah, they do. And they that versus like the cowabunga corners I've watched. I was like, this is a different Michelle. Like this is. <laughs> they have three days of filming. I am ADHD, so they were able to catch the hyper me and cut out the calm me. Sure. <laughs> um, and there was stuff I told them, please don't use me singing. I'm just trying to remember the words of the song. And what do they do? They use me singing. Of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know VH1. I didn't watch VH1. I watched cartoon channels. Uh, so I yeah. had no clue what they did with reality TV. To the point where I watched VH1's uh, Totally Obsessed the first time, the first episode I wasn't in. And they did this show on this Cabbage Patch Kid family. And I'm sitting there going, oh, these people are horrible. How could they put that doll over their own child? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then the next day, they air my episode. I'm like, wait a second. Get online. Search up. Oh, they got a museum. And the toy's actually their mascot. And that makes sense now. I did that with right. Spork and Snap and Jaffa Cakes. And, yeah, what Spork at? Uh, the Ninja Turtle traveling mascots. We'd take them and pose them next to people. Even Kevin Eastman took part in that. So, uh, but yeah, they they really, and then with the Cabbage Patch people, they were there nine days because they did three visits and each visit was three days. And then wow. they did three days with us. They were there Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And then I did a video on Cowabunga Corner to show how they did that video. Uh, it's episode 40 of Cowabunga Corner. It's behind the scene footage of my dad following them around with a camera. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I got my revenge. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the other one was Fanatical, right? I don't know which one. What, what is that show? What was that show? Fanatical was another fan show that contacted me in late 2006. And okay. when they got a hold of me and I said yes, my entire family grabs me and said, what are you thinking? You saw what VH1 did. <laughs> and I said, well, now I know how they script you. And I also know how to keep myself better on the camera. And I have nothing to hide. So, yeah, sure. I'll bring them out and see what they do. Originally, we were going to be filming at New York City Comic Con. Then they turned around and cut that and said, no, we're coming to your house. Wait, what? And, yeah, we, we want you to throw an event at your house. Wait, what? You want me to what? And I remembered when VH1 was there, they turned my full room into a studio to where you had to step over wires and around lights and cameras to be able to get from one spot to another. And I'm like, how do I fit a party 
and a camera crew into this room. So yeah. I broke open into a loft, which was storage for like four years. It was nothing but boxes to the ceiling. The walls itself was still in installation because it's an unfinished part of the house. And I emptied all the boxes out of that loft. And I'm staring at it. And my sister's standing there with me. And she goes, you should turn this into a sewer. I'm like, dad would never go for that. My dad comes upstairs, looks at it and goes, you should turn this into a sewer. Huh. Got one week. One week before the show's getting there. And we, uh, it took four days to build the sewer and three days to decorate. That's awesome. <laughs> we got my, I, I miss my sewer. <laughs> I loved my sewer. We had the pipe up there with a rat on it. And we had all the stuff hanging on there. Playmates Toys and Warner Brothers sent me a bunch of stuff on the 2007 movie to put around in the background for the interview. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, cool. yes. Oh, it, it was a blast. And they came, they filmed for only one day. And that show is like a thousand times better than uh, Totally Obsessed could ever dream to be. And then it doesn't even show here in America. It's only shown in Canada and overseas. It's even dubbed from what I understand. And I'm like, I want to see it dubbed. <laughs> is it on YouTube? I thought I found part of it. Okay. I think I've seen the sewer layer, but I'm not sure if I saw the whole thing. There's, it's four parts on YouTube. And the okay. entire thing is in my favorites list on YouTube. Uh, oh, I'll check that out. Okay. Uh, the other person, because they interviewed two of us. There's me and Gina. Uh, Gina okay. was a member of the TMT boards for years. A uh, really, really close friend of mine. Uh, we just lost her in 2017 to a stroke. Um, oh, wow. So uh, I, I miss her deeply. Uh, we just hung, we hung out with her at the San Diego Comic Con before losing her. Uh, that was my last time having a full day with her. And oh, wow. It was funny because when they when Fanatical was at my house filming, I was on a chat with her. And then when they were over at her house filming, she was on a chat with me. And they didn't want to show that we were connected. <laughs> so right. they didn't show that we had the chats going saying, hey, guess who's here? <laughs> so, did, you, uh, did you sing in that one? No, no, okay. no. <laughs> no, I don't mind goofing off with singing. I'll say I have a horrible singing voice, but I've got in front of crowds with that horrible singing voice and sung. Uh, my favorite time singing in front of a crowd, I didn't even realize I was going to be singing in front of a crowd. I was at New York City Comic Con, and I'm hanging out with uh, Richard from Partner in Crime, uh, writer oh, yeah. of Turtle Power, and he's got a boombox going with uh, his songs on there, and Turtle Power comes on, and I just start singing along. And then next thing I know, people are looking my way and Richard is holding the boom box and he turns it down to where now it's just me singing. Then he turns it up and I'm matching up and staying right with the song. I'm like, I can't normally do this. This is good. Yay. <laughs> I went through the entire song and the entire crowd applauded me. And I'm just like, okay, this is funny. <laughs> That's awesome. You are far braver than I, because I know all those words probably, but I would never have the courage to do that. <laughs> you know, I think it's just because it's sharing the passion and it's goofing off and it I don't have like this little thing in me saying this is embarrassing to twist sure. up or down it's just like be yourself and if people are going to like you they're going to like you for who you are if you try to act like you're not or hide who you are how are you going to know if people like that side of you so or follow your heart as Mikey would say <laughs> follow your heart guys follow your heart when the lights go out and the head goes down, you're feeling all alone. When it seems like every way that you turn, there are faces made of stone. 
It's the time to keep believing what you've always known. I said it's time to keep believing in what you've always known. <laughs> there, a little bit of <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I have people running up to me yelling, follow your heart all the time, including somebody who used to work for Playmates Toys. And when he That's did, awesome. he was still working for Playmates Toys. <laughs> now, like, uh, so, I mean, uh, Calabunga Corner, you started that how long ago? Ten years ago. I started oh, wow. that in February 2010. Um, it was inspired because... Um, as I, I've done so many interviews, and normally when I'm doing the interviews, it's a crew that comes. There's the cameraman, there's the reporters, there's sound people, whatever. And uh, sometimes it's two people, sometimes it's a couple, um, uh, way more than two. VH1 was the largest group. And um, then all of a sudden I get a request for a video interview from the free press. Um, and I'm like, okay, sure. And this lady shows up, and she's got a camera, and it's just her. She's there for less than a half hour. She does her interview. She gets some footage of my collection and she leaves. I'm like, yeah. that was easy and fast and she's gone. I wonder how that one's going to turn out. And then I watched it the next morning and I'm like, that was really good. That's like the yeah. best interview anyone's done on me. Wow. And <laughs> it's up on my YouTube channel. It's one of my earliest videos on my YouTube channel is this free interview. Uh, it's free press. And um, the sound is off because for some odd reason, transferring VHS to computers is horrible sound, but it's a really good interview. And I'm like, I can do that. You know, I want my real story out. I'm tired of everybody else telling my story because they keep messing it up. Um, maybe I can do it. So I sit down with a camera on a tripod and I'm like, I don't know how to edit. So guess what? I'm going to do it all in one take. <laughs> 14 takes later. My phone rings, and it's my friend Phoenix, who, if anyone reads the credits of Cowabunga Corner, that's the editor. Uh, and she's like, what are you up to? And I'm like, I'm trying to film a blog for my YouTube channel. She's, can I edit it? Yes, thank you, yes! <laughs> so I finish the blog, I send it to her, then she writes back and says, what do you want to call it? I'm like, I don't know. Am I supposed to name these things? She's, yes. So I sent her three names, and Cowabunga Corner was one of the names. And uh, another one was Ivy's Corner, and I don't know what, the, I don't even remember what the third one was. And so she came back and said Cowabunga Corner. I totally forgot that's actually part of Ninja Turtle history. I was going to, that was my next question was, was that, did that come from uh, the coming out of their shells? It did not. It might have in the back of my mind. It was probably about three years later, somebody asked me if I remembered that, and then I, I grab up a program, and I, I, I go to it, and I'm like, oh, my God, it does say Cowabunga Corner right there. <laughs> yeah. If we've gone too far down the rabbit hole, I just want to fill people in. So for, <laughs> for coming out of their shells for, like, a week when uh, coming out of their shells was at Radio City Music Hall, the corner there, if I have this correct, was renamed Cowabunga Corner for that week while they were there. Calvo Corner and Bodacious Avenue was on the street sign. Yeah. Okay. So there's two. But um, I, I guess I grabbed Cowabunga Corner somehow in the, the depths of my mind and sure. just clung on to it. And uh, then uh, we put up the first blog and everyone loved it. And so I'm like, well, this was so easy. Why don't we do it weekly? Then I realized, 
Oh, no. Let's do a season. 26 episodes per season. And then Phoenix came up with the idea of doing a website. And I'm like, oh, what's this for? And then I started doing articles on there. And then the toy companies come to me and go, you know, we've watched Cowabunga Corner. Why don't you ever review toys? I don't know. And that's what got me into toy reviews because they invited me out to toy fair. I got Lego and Playmates Toys and Little Kids and so many other toy companies that like what I do. And I'm like, okay, I like toys. <laughs> a great way to get toys for free too. It's awesome. <laughs> it does work. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> But as I mentioned this to you earlier, but it was before we were on here, is one of the worst things about being a, a toy reviewer is if you don't have somewhere to set up to film real quick, your toys can sit in package because you got to wait and wait for, yeah. uh, for your um, uh, camera to be set up to open the toy on camera. And that's how my coming out of the shells tour toys from NECA are sitting right now in package behind me. Not open yet. I don't know how you've resisted. So I, I actually had, I, so I bought, so NECA did this thing where you can only get them shipped to um, the first pre-order. They can only get them shipped to, Cal, to, uh, to uh, other countries, not in America. So I actually had a friend who I sent them to in California in, in, in Canada to then send back to me. But in the meantime, while I was waiting, I saw it set in Target and I was like, holy shit, I need this now. So I bought that and I ended up with three sets of these toys. Oh, I only got one. <laughs> well, one of which I returned to Target, like, cause I didn't want to be a scalper or anything. The other one, actually Bob Bijan, who did the coming out of their shelves tour owns now. Cause I, I ended up sending them to him. He goes, all right. That seems like a worthy cause. Like, he deserves to have them if anybody does. Yeah, he does. He has that set. And then I have just one set left now. But like, I couldn't wait coming out of Target that day. So the fact that it's been sitting in your package this long is, is astonishing to me. So, so there's a, a little story um, that I did get a sneak peek that they were doing this a year ago. Okay. And um, I may have sent some photos in for sizes and helping with some of the stuff, like a certain pizza that's in that packaging. Because <laughs> also sitting behind me is an original pizza from the show that was given to me by Michelangelo when I got backstage. Oh, wow. Wait, is it like, is it, is that degraded like hell too? Oh, it yeah, must. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Hang on. Oh, I keep it in a pizza box. Okay. <laughs> this is a visual. I'm sorry to everyone who's just hearing this. That's all right. This is all for me anyway. Oh, wow. That's awesome. It looks exactly like the little thing. I sent detailed pictures to uh, Trevor. And yeah. <laughs> so, God, that, it's so like, it, like, in the context of the show, it's just so poorly painted. Like, <laughs> well, like, Got to think, these things are just made to be thrown into the audience originally. True, true, true. And then when they got the Six Flags, they weren't allowed to throw them into the audience anymore. So instead, oh, wow. they teased me on stage. Uh, the, when I went and saw the Coming Out of Shells tour during Pizza Power the first time, I thought they were going to throw them. And I get up. I'm front roll, so I am right there at the stage. I get up. I'm waving my arms, like, make sure you throw that at me. And Raph sees this and comes over to the other stage and does this little taunt tease, like, going to throw it at me. They never throw the pizza. And he did that all four times. He knew right where I was sitting and would come and tease me. Three times I sat in the same seat. One time I sat in a different area because 
I didn't get to the front of the line fast enough uh, because I didn't know there was two shows that night. So I stayed longer inside before running and getting back in line. Uh, so I ended up a little bit further down in front row still. And that time, it's the second time I'm at the show. And I just did the other show and they saw me talking along and I got Shredder's attention and I was the only one screaming, you gotta fight to be free. You gotta fight for what is right. <laughs> you know, I'm the one in the crowd yelling that stuff. And so when April comes out, normally she goes down to center aisle to interview the kids, but I noticed she was interviewing only people in the front row. So I tell the boy next to me, she's coming to interview me. No, she's not. She's coming to interview me. No, she's not. So I'm not listening to who she says that, um, no, who the kids are answering as their favorite turtles because I'm taunting the kid next to me. And sure enough, she gets up to me and says, hey, you were here last time. What's your name, Michelle? Uh, which turtle are you here to see? Michelangelo. <laughs> um, so she got a short interview in with me and then she goes backstage. And my mom is sitting in second row right behind me and leans forward and hits me. And I go, what? And she goes, you should have said Donatello. Michelangelo was already mentioned. Don's the only one not oh. mentioned. So Donatello comes running out on stage, points at me with both fingers, and then swipes his hands away and turns and walks off. And Michelangelo runs right where Donnie was and starts blowing kisses my way. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Now I'm friends with that Donatello. <laughs> oh, really? That's awesome. <laughs> Are you missing the cons this year? Oh, God, yes. They're my antidepressant. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> they are my complete antidepressant i i have a uh, severe nerve damage and i can't work a, a regular job i can't go out and do normal stuff as it is and uh conventions is my way of getting out and seeing other turtle fans getting out and meeting the talent uh and just being able to embrace life itself other than sitting here in pain at home so i love conventions <laughs> I, at first, I didn't think I'd be able to do conventions anymore. My first con after being hurt, somebody elbowed me in my bad arm, and I couldn't mm. walk or talk for three hours. Oh, um, Lord. Yeah, it's, it's a it's serious injury. I got a wire down my spine and a battery in my chest to try and help me with pain control. And another friend of mine convinced me to go to a convention a month later and said panels. And since then, I think conventions have helped me learn how to uh, handle the pain better. Uh, it's helped me be able to keep pushing forward instead of just starting to give up like what almost happened. And uh, it's a huge thing. And it's mainly the fans. I, I will go to a convention if it's just other turtle fans. They don't even need to have a turtle guest. If other friends from the internet are going and I can get there, I will go just to hang out with my friends. And that's awesome. great. It'll come back around. I mean, I know that I, I was just starting to get into them over the past like five years or so. Um, my favorite one was uh, Granite, Granite Con in 2019 where the voice actors were and Eastman and a bunch of other people. And it was just such a great con. So I was like, I was like, all right, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I don't know, I, I don't know what it was before, but I just, I, I'm like, all right, now I need to go to as much of these as possible because I really love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was lucky because my dad was a guest at them growing up. So I knew about him as a kid. And then um, I, when I got online, uh, we start talking about trying to meet up and some of my earliest meetups with internet friends was at conventions. Cause we always wanted it at a public place. And I like that. It worked. It worked very well <laughs> and it still works. But now, you know, COVID like I'm sitting here with badges just laying around 
uh, on my desk from yeah. old conventions right now. This is Anime Next 2007 right here. <laughs> Four kids voice actors. That's when I met Raphael. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, wait, who was the, his voice in, in the Four Kids show? Uh, me. Gabby. Now That's right. Three different names. There was Frank Frankson, John Campbell, and Greg Abbey. Greg Abbey is his actual name. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I think I knew Frank Frankson. Was he credited as Frank Frankson in the show? Yeah. And, uh, early, he was credited as all three of those names. It started off oh. with Frank Frankson. Then it went to John Campbell. Then he finally credited his real name. Um, <laughs> there's Michael Simpson Nicholas is Leonardo. Uh, I know him very well. Uh, Mike's an amazing, funny guy. He's Dean Venture in Venture Brothers. Um, and that shows Lee. I mean, I love, I like that show a lot, but that shows Leonardo is like amazing. Like they nailed Leonardo in that show so well. Oh, my, Michelangelo is my favorite in that series all the way. Wayne Grayson did amazing, amazing sure. in that series. And he's another one of the voice actors I made really good friends with. And I met both Michael Central Nicholas and Wayne Grayson in 2003. So from October, 2003 on, I was friends with the voice cast. And oh, nice. That's I've awesome. Sam Regal a few times, but uh, out of the voice actors, uh, the other three are the ones that I think I've been a bit closer to. So on your uh, on your IMDb page, it says that you um, consulted on the 20, 2007. Yes. Uh, I, in fact, I just found my my pay stub from Warner Brothers uh, during this move. <laughs> so what was that like? I, I've actually I interviewed Kevin Monroe on here. I. I been kind of friendly with him for the last couple of years since then and uh, he's just a sweet awesome dude but i'm curious what was your experience i mean that uh, sounds great uh it was all really through the computer for the most part and it was with the legal team more than with any of the creative staff uh they emailed me saying hey another turtle fan wanted um no told us that you'd be good for this uh can we talk so i told them a bit about myself and they're like yeah you sound good for this Here's what we want you to do. We're going to send you a script and an animated clip. And uh, your job is to read the script and tell us what's already been done before. And huh. um, then uh, the animated clip tells what you think. And I'm like, well, the animated clip, the turtles are jumping like frogs. I mean, why are their knees coming all the way up here? <laughs> so, um, but with the, the script, uh, it just was a lot of stuff going on at that time. This was October of 2005. And okay. I went to Anime Vegas. In fact, my badge for that sitting right over here too. Um, <laughs> I went to Anime Vegas and I had to try and read the script because it came to me right before I left. And I can't let anyone who's with me know what's going on. So I'm reading the script every chance I get alone and I'm making notes and I got a little notebook and I'm okay. This has been done. This has been done. Wrath and Leo have fought way too many times. <laughs> and so their call, they decide to call me on Halloween day and I'm sitting in the airport in Vegas to head back to Michigan. And so I find a window to sit there and have my little call with Warner Brothers. And they're like, first we'll do a call. And if you say anything that we think we need further details on, we'll ask for a written report. So I sat down with that little notebook in the airport and I read off stuff and I'm like, well, there's also this. Um, if you insist on making Wrath and Leo fight again, and again, and again, they've already fought a thousand times. Um, if you insist on this fight scene, at least have Raph use his size properly for the first time in Ninja Turtle history. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I'm a martial arts teacher. 
I've trained with the size. I know what they're meant for. And they're meant to break the blades of a katana. And Raph has never done it. Hmm. Not in the comics, not in the cartoons, not in any of the other movies. Really? Okay, we're going to need a written report from you. <laughs> so I get back to Michigan and I do a full typed up report, which ended up being 11 and a half pages. <laughs> Sent okay. it to them. And they used probably about 30% of the stuff that I told them, including Raph breaking the swords. Um, oh, that's awesome. I didn't know. That's so cool. Are you in the credits uh, if I put the DVD in? No. Ah, it's heartbreaking. I asked them if I was getting the cre in the credits, and they said no. And uh, I also got in trouble because I told Mirage Studios, uh, I told one of the artists at Mirage that I worked on the movie. I didn't say anything about the movie or what was in the script. I just mentioned it. And I got a call like two days later from the legal department of Warner Brothers saying, you can't say anything. It's in a contract. And I'm like going, um, but they own the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> right, like they, <laughs> they actually own the Ninja Turtles. And I'm like, but we own the movie. And then uh, like two months later, I get a call from the same artist saying, I just signed one of those agreements too. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, like, and that is obviously like the most epic Leo Raph fight scene ever in the whole history of the series of anything oh no am i wrong do you just I, I have a question who do you think sure. won the fight uh well okay so i don't think Raphael is more skilled than leo but i do think there's an element of leonardo holding back that's how my brain justifies Raphael winning i don't know what do you think okay here's my thoughts the entire time leo did not know it was Raph, he was winning then all yes. of a sudden yes he's holding back and then Raph catches the swords in the sides. Now, that should have been a faster action. But Raph was taking too long to break those swords. Leo has a chance to look down and see what Raph is doing and then look back at Raph. And that point, as a martial artist, Leo's making the choice. I can either drop my swords and kick Raph away from me and continue this fight, or I can let Raph win, and that's the only way the fight will end. Leo made the choice to let his swords be broken. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> Lines, I was thinking not the sword specifically, but I I can't stomach the idea that Raphael could outskill Leo. I just can't I can't stomach that. Now, if, <laughs> if you watch the full fight and that seriousness, and I've had a lot of people who say, Raph won that fight, and then come back to me and go, Oh my goodness, I just rewatched the scene and you were right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's my view on it. Leo won by making the choice to end the fight because Leo never wanted the fight to begin with. And the only way was to let Raph think he won it. For sure. Completely agree. Um, is there, wait, is, it, so were you, is there any other Leo Raph fight scene that you think is on par with that? Because that's, no, I mean, that, to me, that's something that comes that, to mind. I just think it was too forced. Um, I, I don't mm -hmm. see Leo chasing a vigilante like that because they're vigilantes. Uh, Raph uh, and Casey are vigilantes. Um, sure. I don't see Leo being so hung up on the Night Watchman. Now, in the script, a cut thing is that the police are being led to the sewers by him. Mm. So because of that, in the script, he has a reason to go after him. I don't know why that was cut. There was also the whole, um, I think... I think Monroe told me about this. Like there was a whole opening where originally it was going to open with Raph and the night watchman thing. And that was going to be like the reveal is he takes the helmet off and it's Raph, but instead they did it where his helmet was off first and then yeah. placed it on 
drove around. And it's like, okay, well, and, why? Uh, the, the birthday party scene was supposed to be longer. What's oh, like- I can see that. It's way short. I mean, I, I like that movie, um, but I do think Donnie and Mike are a little bit shortchanged in it. I, I have to say, I actually like the 2016 movie more than it. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, my problem Wait, is... 2016 is Out of the Shadows, right? Yeah. Okay. Out of the Shadows gives all four turtles script time, plot time. It is the first Ninja Turtle movie to do that. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, to me, 2016, what I like about that movie is I think, and I don't, I don't love the movie, to be honest, but I think it nails Bebop and Rocksteady. Oh, totally. Totally. I it, love them in yeah. there. It I fulfills the pro- Oh, go ahead. I don't like Baxter Stockman in it. I think they just failed on their Baxter Stockman. Company. I agree. I agree. Um, my favorite movies go in the orders of Turtles 1 being the top, Turtles 2 and Turtles 3 are tied. Then I'm going to throw in the Batman TMNT movie just because it's got to be in there. Yep. Uh, then 2016, then 2007, then 2014. I think, I think I like every movie progressively less than the previous one until we get to 2016. Like, as I think there's too much nostalgia tied up in two and three for me to be remotely objective. So I think I like those. Like, I like one the best then two, then three, then 2007, which I think is probably better than the other two, but I can't, my, my brain can't process that. And I, then I don't like 2014 okay. that much, like 2016. I'm going to break the, the 2007 movie for you right now, okay? Okay. Likewise, they're after these monsters, right? Yeah. When they show up, they see the foot fighting Bigfoot. Now, how would they want an outsider to view it if they, if an outsider came and saw them fighting the foot, they know the foot's bad. Why did they attack Bigfoot? That's true. Why do they attack? That's a good. That's a good point. You think like kind of like Bigfoot, you know? Yeah. In the Henderson sense, like they're kind of like Bigfoot. So yeah, what, what's their beef with Bigfoot? That's a good point. And then Jersey Devil, when you yeah, why is he that fight scene? Did you realize that Jersey Devil actually speaks? No, I knew Kevin Smith was the, the, the chef or whatever, but I did yeah. not know. I didn't call him speaking. Uh, Billy West is Jersey Devil. And when the fruit really? fall, falls on Jersey Devil, listen really close and you might hear the only swear word in the movie. It starts with an S. Oh, wow. I did not know that. <laughs> so, now, if you think about it, these monsters have been around all this time without making the news, without being extremely public. And then they're gathering to go through this portal. These things can talk, as we learned from Jersey Devil, and are not trying to get attention to themselves. Why are the turtles attacking them instead of talking? That's a good point. I don't know. Uh, and then at the end fight scene, the turtles go in there to fight, and Max is like, this is my fight. And Splinter says, they have been trained for this. But it's still Max's fight. There's no reason for the turtles to be at that last fight scene besides for saving Leo. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, I, I'm not, I, I don't dare argue with any of this. I think you're right. I think it's one of those things where like, I, I like there are enough cool moments in that movie for me to really like it, but you're, you're absolutely right. Casey Jones has more screen time than Donatello. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Mikey and I think that there was potential 
for a sequel to kind of cover those characters a little bit more. I wish, I, I, because it was still a fun movie. Uh, I yeah, and it was the a movie universe of interest. I did see it 52 times in a the theater. <laughs> my first time seeing it was my first time ever going to a Hollywood premiere. So I got to the oh, wow. Chinese Man's Theater, and it was a green carpet, and Ubisoft was there with the game set up, and it was a lot of fun. Um, sure. I got to see Kevin Eastman and Julie Strain. Uh, the voice actors were there. Not all of them. Patrick Stewart was not there. Um, Sir Michelle Geller was not there. Uh, Chris Evans was not there. So I did not see any of the big names that came in and replaced the people who originally voiced those characters. Like Kate yeah. Jones was voiced by Quentin Flynn originally. <laughs> yeah, they were, for those who don't know, they were all redubbed later just like the bigger people on the marquee. Yep. Uh, yeah. And I, I think Patrick Stewart did the worst job at dubbing. When he's talking to Karai, if you watch the lip flaps, it don't match up. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and I love Patrick Stewart, so it's nothing against him. It's just watching the lip flaps going, uh, okay. Now, so, going, so rewinding a little bit to 20, the 2016 movie. So, I mean, I love it for Bebop and Rocksteady. And I feel like it fulfills the promise of what secretly used should have done right whereas like they're making two bad mutants why the hell isn't it these two but i do think um like i think it's in a way like the truest representation of the original cartoon but in all the wrong ways like it's it's like uses too simplistic cartoon logic to explain away really big things you know uh, i'm gonna jump at one thing that i absolutely love with this movie because it did something that we've never got before in the original cartoon series, Krang is telling Shredder to make the body, and Shredder's like, I don't trust you, Krang. But do we ever find out why? What was his first backstab from Krang in that cartoon? Sure. No, we don't. Sure. But in this movie, Shredder tries to trust Krang, and then, boom, Krang betrays him. This sure. set up like the most epic third movie we could have had the shredder and crane relationship from the original cartoon series because now crane would have had to use shredder to try and get back here sure and i would have loved to have seen that that yeah. would have had me on the edge of my seat because be about rock city's created uh shredder and crane's relationship is cemented there's going yeah. to be this hate relationship between the two of them to where they're like I need you, but I hate you. And I can't, I, I wanted to see that. And right after we saw the New York premiere, we went out for dinner and we were leaving and this limo pulled over and it was the producers of the movie rolling down the window saying, did you enjoy the movie? Yeah, we had a great time. We're going to make a third one. And then they drove off and then the box office just completely sank because everyone hated 2014 so much that a lot yeah. of people did not go to the theaters to see it. Yeah, I, I went resistantly, but I saw so many of the commercials, and I was like, man, it looks like they're nailing Bebop and Rocksteady. And then I went to the theater, and like, if I just watched it for them, like, it's so worth seeing those characters perfectly done on screen. Like, it just represents them so well. I like Mikey going into the parade. I like yeah. being hurt by hearing Leo saying, don't tell the others. I like Raph trying to take control to say, we're going to go get that ooze. Leo can't make this decision for all of us. I yeah. love the, the, the expression on Donatello's face as he realized he can't tell the others. 
I felt there was so much depth with the four turtles that we never got all four turtles to have this in one movie before that it caught something unique in that movie. Um, I hate the designs of the turtles in those movies. I'm not going to say I like that. I hate Baxter Stockman in that movie. Baxter Stockman would never try to high five Shredder or get giddy about Shredder. Baxter Stockman is supposed to fear and totally hate Shredder and be forced to work for him or look down at him like I am superior because I am the more intellect of the two. I my yeah. favorite Baxter Stockman's 2003. Scott. He's Warren. great. Yeah. Yep. Brilliant, brilliant Baxter Stockman and. So when I saw this movie, I saw the trailer, and I compared his actions uh, to the Nutty Professor, saying, this is not Baxter, it's the Nutty Professor. And people got after, you're saying that about the looks. No, I'm saying that about him being all giddy and getting so hyper instead of being serious. And I always liked Baxter a bit serious. I do love original cartoon Baxter, too, though. And he wasn't, you know, serious. He was kind of goofy. But still... <laughs> When it comes to Baxter, I kind of wish they, they caught him better than they did. Baxter's one of my favorite villains. And uh, Original cartoon Baxter is just sad and pathetic. I recently watched, because <laughs> I, I, I watched the cartoon in order so many times, but I've kind of started watching it like out of order. So I watched just the saga of Baxter Stockton recently. And it is the most depressing <laughs> series episodes. If you watched it back to back, it's the saddest story in turtle history. It's original cartoon Baxter. It's horrible. So same thing with 2003. I mean, come on, insane in the memories. Baxter stock yeah. gets it the worst out of everyone. He does. He does. But yeah, yeah. Uh, when Baxter in the original cartoon loses his computer, uh, well, everything he goes through, it's just so sad. Because originally, he's just a guy who wants to sell his mousers. Yes. <laughs> Oh, yes. And Shredder turns around and just swoops him into this madness. <laughs> I love that there's, I mean, this is so much the, like, what, like, I, I still contend that the first cartoon is great, not just because of the nostalgia tied up in it, but, like, the writing from guys like David Wise is super sharp and funny. Like, yeah. even if plot lines are like, okay, they're basically the same every week, but, like, there's some really funny meta jokes. And the one of the best ones with Baxter was when, like, there's like six episodes in and Baxter wants his revenge, but he fails to under, like somebody, I think Raph asks him, like, what does, what is he trying to get back at them for? And he doesn't know what it is. Like, you know, it's hilarious because there is no real reason for him to want vengeance upon the turtles and the writers know it, which is hilarious. Uh, it's Krang. He should be going after revenge on. Yeah, exactly. Like the turtle, nothing to, and he doesn't, and he knows, like uh, the funny thing to me is like, he, he knows, he doesn't know why he wants vengeance upon them. And they address that, which is so fun. It's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that series was brilliant. And I did not okay. feel like it was the same every episode. Um, That's more to me, like Scooby-Doo was the same plot line every episode. I agree. Um, what I loved was that there was these other villains. Like one of my favorite episodes of the original cartoon series is Leatherhead meets the Rat King. Yep, that's a great one. <laughs> so yeah. hilarious. Leatherhead's first time in the sewers, all the crap that happened to him. That's a beautiful episode. <laughs> it's yeah, so beautiful. And so I sit down and watch those type of episodes, and that's what made me a fan to stay on. If it yeah. was the same villain and same story arc all the time, I don't know if I'd still be here like I am. And that's why I like the third movie so much, because they stepped out of the repeat of Shredder, yep. Shredder, they gave us a different story. Yeah, I agree. 
I mean, I, I, I do overstate that a bit. Like, I, my, I think my favorite episode of the, that old cartoon, or at least certainly among them, is the episode where Bebop and Rocksteady become network executives at Channel 6. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the funniest, they're dancing potatoes in one part, and they're like, they wear a suit. It's just, it's just such a great, amazing, hilarious episode. And they're becoming network executives. It's just hysterical. I love it. Yeah, I, I know exactly which episode you're talking about there. Yeah. And, uh... I also like Cowabunga Shredhead. Remind me which one that is. I'm sorry. Cowabunga Shredhead is when Shredder gets Michelangelo's personality. Yes. Okay. Yep. And the yeah. animation is kind of weird in that one, but it is such a fun episode. Yeah. I crave pizza no more. <laughs> I crave pizza once again. <laughs> there's so many great ones. I like. There's like. I don't know, I, I recently went back and watched a lot of the Bebop and Rock City ones. And, like, the one where Bebop gets the ice monster pet is, like, so sad. Like, it's just... <laughs> the full story of Slash is sad. That was it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much you know about my birthday party days, but we had a Bebop costume. Okay, I did and, not know this. Yeah. Maybe I've seen Okay, go ahead. Uh, episode 10 of Cowabunga Corner actually shows video from... Uh, the birthday parties and our parties were crashed by bebop so at the end of the party he'd come running in party's over show back bebop what are you doing here pork head well i got a message from my boss well he could have just sent a postcard well my master says he has your master catcher and if you ever wants to see him again you better put down those nunchucks and come real peaceful like well no what am i gonna do he's got my sensei i guess i better do what he says and I go to put down the chucks, the turtle con beeps, which is actually right behind me over there. <laughs> and uh, put down speakerphone so everyone here. Hello? Hello, my son, where are you? Why are you not at ninja practice? Master, are you all right? Of course I am all right. Master, Bebop is here. And he said that you were Shredder's prisoner. I am okay. Wrap up things there and return home immediately. There will be some extra chores for you. Ah, you take this. So you got my sensei, huh? <laughs> Have a little bit of a, a roughness with Bebop. My parents break us up and demand that if Bebop don't want us to tell Shredder on how bad he messed up, he better take photos with these kids. So Bebop takes pictures and then takes off, and then I have to say goodbye to the kids at the end of the party. But it's an hour-long party. That's awesome. <laughs> now, I know you're... Uh... I, I, I've seen you write, uh, say this, that you like the, the, that Michelangelo suit that you wore is kind of like the crown jewel of your turtle collection. Is that? Yes. Yes. Um, I, I had two suits and I still have both bodies, but the head from the original one was chopped up to make the head for the new one. So I still have the original head. It just matches only one of the heads and one of the bodies. Uh, in fact, that body's sitting right here in the room with me. Um, <laughs> the head's at the office. Um, <laughs> but um, I, uh, that costume has brought me more memories, has helped people in some of the worst situations. We'd go to hospitals doing Make-A-Wish for children. Uh, I do home visits for kids. I did parades in that thing. I wore it for Eastman and Laird. Um, I've entertained up to 1,500 children at a time. And it is like one of the most amazing parts of my history. 
And that's why I get pissed at movies for making it look like it's bad to do children's birthday parties. Uh, Ghostbusters made it look bad. Uh, the 2007 Turtle movie, it hurt me that Michelangelo hated doing birthday parties. Because mm. I actually feel like I, if Mikey could experience what I experienced, he would have loved every second of it. Sure. I've only had, out of 150 birthday parties, and that's not including all the other events, birthday parties alone, I only had maybe three of them that were bad. It was the same group of people each time. And after the third party, they called me up to try and book again. I answered the phone and they tried to book me. And I said, I'm sorry, but uh, you're with the group that does the parties over at the Mirage, right? Well, yes. Then, uh, yeah, we're not doing any more of your parties. Wait, why? Why? Uh, because you're, you, uh, the adults encouraged the kids to attack the turtle. Uh, you, do not allow all the children to participate at the event. Um, we've seen abuse on some of the other kids. Uh, you guys are uh, extremely rough with our staff. And when our staff tries to break up the fight, you guys get in the way. And we're not doing any more events. I want to talk to your manager. You're talking to the turtle dude, and I'm not coming back. <laughs> I think I blew his mind because uh, they did not like women. The ones we saw them get rough with was their little girls who were dressed up like porcelain dolls, and we saw them completely smack and hit them and grab them by the hair, pulling them away from the turtle because the turtle tried saying hi to them. Good Lord. So, uh, and they were nighttime parties. So if you're ever into the party business, do not allow any parties after 6 p.m. Just don't allow it. These parties were at 9 p.m. Wow. And uh, so daytime parties are the best parties. And... Uh, some and it, usually it's the broker families, the ones who actually respect, uh, who realize that we spent a lot of money to get these people here. That's where the best parties. Um, the uh, um, rich parties, uh, it was hard. Uh, I'd go to birthday parties and see these kids dressed up like completely head to toe, really nice dress clothing. Uh, we're not allowed to get up and dance during the music. After they played in the game, they had to go sit on a couch, not allowed to dance or goof off with the turtle or do any other games. They just had to sit there silent, not allowed to talk. When they were, and when it was not their turn to play the games, and I'm just like, how can they treat their kids this way? Yeah. So I saw different things, but one of the best parties I did was actually for an Italian family. The birthday boy's name was Luigi. Dude, where is Mario? Why are you not introducing me to Mario? Why, shouldn't you be wearing green? Dude, come on, I want to meet Mario. Most of the family could not speak English at all, including the grandmother. And so after the birthday party, we got invited to come and have food with me out of my suit. And the grandmother knew I was the turtle. And have you ever heard Weird Al's song, Luigi, no, lasagna? Yes, of course, yeah. It was a real life experience. Mancha, 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 mancha. And when you get out of costume, you're like, where's the water? Give me the Gatorade. Wait, food? That's too heavy. Ooh. I had such a hard time eating. And the grandmother was right there. The food was so delicious. But I had such a hard time eating. We got in the car, cranked on the song Lasagna. I love that. Get nice and big like your cousin Luigi. Luigi, Luigi, by beach, by pond. <laughs> I'm just like going, this is a real life experience. Oh. Okay. This is the real life experience. Hang on one second. Sure. For a grab. 
And uh, yeah, that, that was my um, yay <laughs> experience with Luigi. <laughs> I met a real Luigi. Then I met the real voice of Mario. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> but yeah. I gotta say, like, I, I get it though. Like I, I told you about my miserable Times Square experience, but like I, the entire time, like I was also, not only was it terrible, but like I made literally $5 in nine hours. It was horrible. And so just, I couldn't bear to like these little, there's a handful of kids that were like super excited to see a Ninja Turtle. And like, I couldn't, like, I, I wasn't like ballsy enough to be like, all right, now you owe me money, kid. Like, it was just such a sweet, cool thing to see a kid who was super excited about Raphael. I was like, I couldn't bear to ask. You were doing it to try and be one of those take your picture and pay me thing? Yes, yes. Oh, and it was, oh okay. But I couldn't, I couldn't ask. Like, I wasn't, like, ballsy enough to ask for money. Like, I was just, like, if a kid was that excited about Raphael, I was like, oh, my God, I love this kid. Like, I'm not going to, like, take that away from them and ask, like, I'm hard up for pizza money. And he, I only made five bucks and then spent well more than that on pizza afterwards. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I uh, made 150 an hour in my suit doing parties. Way better business person than me. <laughs> and we did do like flea markets and store store openings and stuff where it was photo with a turtle for five bucks a picture. Uh, but we had all the signage. We were at a booth. Um, we had props that they could pose with, including this crane that would sit on the shoulder. And it was actually a puppet so you could make the mouth work. Uh, we had different pizzas and stuff that people could pose with. Um, and uh, I got a lot of pictures of me doing this. But that crane it now belongs to Kevin Eastman. Oh, that crane puppet. I've seen pictures of that. That's very cool. And your dad made that, right? Yes, my dad made that. It's such a, it looks like that. It looks car like cartoon crane. It's a Muppet cartoon crane. It's fantastic. You can watch the video of my dad making that crane puppet on my YouTube channel. Oh, that's awesome. It's Ivy's <laughs> flashbacks. I'm not sure if it's number one, but it's one of the, the early videos I was doing. <laughs> oh, very cool. That's awesome. Oh. Probably just keep doing this for the next like six hours. We're probably going <laughs> rep. <laughs> um, I usually ask at the end of these things, who's your favorite turtle? I already know it's Michelangelo. So I, I, I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite version of your favorite turtle? Oh, that's mean. That's asking me to choose between friends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tony is the one that introduced me. Uh, sure. But uh, Misha and Robbie with that first Turtle movie kind of cemented it. And then uh, Wayne Grayson is right up there tied with them. Those are, those are the three. I have to say all three are tied. Uh, Wayne uh, is Mikey being so intelligent and such a huge part of their plots and scripts and Battle Nexus tournament uh, winner. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, those three Mikeys right there, they're, they're the ones that hold my heart the closest. Awesome. <laughs> <Catches>. <laughs> Well, Michelle, honestly, I can't thank you enough for talking to me, uh, especially for this long. I, I super pleasure to really to pick your brain on this stuff. And uh, yeah, I just uh, hope to have you back sometime because this is great. And there's a lot more history to cover. Oh, anytime. And I, I barely scratched the surface of what I've been doing. <laughs> <All right>, awesome. <laughs> thank you, Michelle. Take care. Okay. Calabunga! Follow your heart. Follow your heart, guys. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. 
There are faces made of stone. It's the time to keep believing in what you've always known. I said it's time to keep believing in what you've always known. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. He can try anything to tear us apart, but there's one thing that's still clear: that there's no way that he'll get inside of our hearts. Just remember that we're still here. The time has come to change it all. Wash away your fear. We only have to stick together. The good times are so near. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Sometimes it seems like you've got no choice. That deep inside you, you've lost your voice. But in the quiet, you know that it's been there from the start. All along, you gotta follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your heart.